Great news, folks. Michael Zuber, One Rental at a Time. I just want to let you know that we have finally released our second book, 15 Conversations with Real Estate Millionaires. This book was written with you in mind. I wanted to capture 15 unique stories of different investors starting at different stages and doing different things. This book is just that. It's nearly 300 pages of motivation, of confirmation, and reminders that yes, you too can do this thing. Check it out on Amazon, and of course, have a great day. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, folks. Michael Zuber, one rental at a time, back with this Thursday expert and good friend of the channel, Mr. Jonathan Twomley. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Michael. How are you? I'm doing great. So thank you for the first two conversations. Number three is actually about one of those investors where I, if their name is mentioned in the title, I will read it. First is obviously Warren Buffett, kind of the first investor I bumped into back in college. But the second one is Ray Dalio. Uh, Ray Dalio is someone I have been following for a while. He wrote a book called Principles three or four years ago, which is really thick and really a dense read, but worth it if you understand the numbers. And of course, Ray Dalio just came out with his second book, which I'm about 30% through. So I thought I'd ask you, you know, A, do you know who he is? Do you, you know, follow him at all? And then I'll kind of share what, I, what I'm taking in from Ray's uh, second book. Yeah, sure. No, I obviously know who Ray Dalio is. I haven't read the book Principles, but I did read with great interest his um, History of Debt Crises, which yes. is a, a very interesting uh, kind of analysis of like every debt crisis for the last 200 years and how it played out. So yeah. uh, that, you know, he, he, it's interesting that he put that out a couple of years ago uh, before, you know, trillion dollars <laughs> before COVID and before everything that just made the debt crisis even worse. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm, I should go back and, and read that again. Yeah. So what he's essentially done is he's actually taken that book as the, I call it the shell of yeah. his new book. And he's basically updated it for COVID and trillions of dollars because it's very up to date. And basically what I'm taking away, and again, keep in mind, I'm 30% through it. I will finish it probably hopefully before the beginning of the year. He's basically talking about the debt cycle. He's talking about all things running in cycles and all he's, he's talking about, um, you know, just all just the big number one power doesn't last forever. It, there's a cycle, someone else will come up. And so essentially he's pretty down on the debt cycle. He thinks that's going to blow up. Uh, he's very concerned, I guess I would say about China kind of overtaking the U S it was kind of a big takeaway. And um, yeah, he's um He's a nervous, I would call him nervous. He's a nervous investor. He's, he thinks something's going to happen in the next three to five years where maybe the U.S. isn't the number one power anymore, which is like, when you think about 200 and some odd years, it's like right around the corner of the next four or five years. So right. pretty concerning. Yeah, well, um, so what would you like me to comment on? Well, hey, just, you know, obviously you read Ray's first book, which is really the crux of this new one. Um, he's, he's not big on the debt cycle. Right. He thinks yeah. that's going to pop versus kind of resolve itself. Right. Again, trillions of dollars on top of what was there. Um, so what, what were your takeaways from that? Do you see this hundred year cycle just kind of coming to an end and it has to pop or it seems kind of. Yeah. I mean, these things can't last forever. You know, I mean, there's another book. I don't know if you've read the uh, Kenneth Rogoff and his partner, but this time is different. Oh, I it, have not it, seen that it one. Came out, uh, it came out right after the financial crisis. And it's sort of a similar book talking about how, about debt and how debt is really what sort of kills everything. And there's okay. always this, there's always a, uh, 
a, a hopium like you used in the last uh, yeah. segment about about well this time is different this time we'll grow our way out of the debt or right. they'll you know something something magical will happen so that it won't come back to bite us mm-hmm. um so yeah i mean i think that this is it, it's a it's a problem it's been a problem for a long time um and you know economies get addicted to all to cheap money and and not that's you know, that could, wrinkle right you, there that's the wrinkle for me is yeah is, is we've got to eventually pay the price. I don't think we finally, I don't think we paid the price in the Great Recession. I think yeah. there was a chance you could have washed the system. Yeah. Uh, but we didn't. I think, I think the next, we've, we've eventually got to pay it or this thing just breaks apart. Yeah. I mean, you know, the interesting thing about the Great Recession is that uh, you have to look at sort of who was in charge when it happened, right? Okay. And the folks who were in charge, you know, uh, i.e. Bernanke and, and his team yep. were all students of the Great Depression. Correct. And they were disciples of Milton Friedman, right? And they, Milton Friedman's argument was that the problem with the, the reason that the Great Depression became the Great Depression was because of a lack of liquidity. The market seized up and, and it just made the economy grind to a halt. Mm-hmm. So the solution is liquidity. So when yeah. the Great Financial Crisis hit, Bernanke, having been a student of that history, said, you know, austerity is not, austerity is the wrong move. That's what yeah. they did in the 30s. That's we tried caused, that before. It didn't work. <laughs> right. They, they, they caused, you know, austerity caused the Great Recession and, and prolonged it, actually. If you, I mean, if you know the history of the Great Recession, in like 1937, uh, Roosevelt actually tried to start rolling back the New Deal. Mm-hmm. And it, and I remember. And it dipped the economy back into recession again. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, so the, the you know liquidity was necessary in the view of of um, Bernanke, et cetera, right? So that's why we got you know didn't clean up the mess. We just threw a lot of money at it, and yeah. I mean it worked in the sense that like it got the economy growing again and it got people mm-hmm. to feel better. But there was no there was no sort of long term like well how do we get out of this right. problem, right? And I think that and I think that's what and so Dalio's books, I mean, it was the book that I read of his, in a way, it sort of makes it seem like there isn't really a whole lot of other choice, right? Like, you have to keep on throwing more debt. It's very, very difficult to, like, stop throwing more debt at the problem. Like, all of the forces of the economy, like, are aligned behind that because everybody, because it works. Yeah. Right? People want it, and they want to have more debt. And frankly, as, as much as people are talking about being afraid of inflation, they actually, they want inflation. Yeah, inflation's one way to get rid of debt. Well, that's true, but also like people want inflation because you have inflation in a growing economy, right? You don't have, you don't have like hyperinflation. Yeah, you have six, four, five, six, not 50. Right, but you have inflation, like you, Mm -hmm. because the the alternative is deflation and you only have deflation when you have a a recession, like a real recession, right? So inflation, mild inflation is something that you, that's why the Fed was always targeting 2% you're trying to get it up to 2% inflation, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, but you're walking along this like on a knife's edge essentially because you're throwing money into the, into the economy to try to heat it up. But if it heats up too much, right? Then you have inflation and then you have a crash. So the, the bankers are kind of like in a sticky situation. And I think that's what kind of like Dahlia was talking about is that right. it's sort of inevitable that what happens is debt 
until the whole system crashes, right? But you keep on throwing new debt at the problem until the debt overload has become so great that either you have to hyperinflate it away mm-hmm. or you have to default on the yeah. debt. Right. And, and, and either both are terrible. There's no good solution. Yeah. yeah. Both of those are bad. <laughs> Bankers are always, you know, and the government is always thinking that it can grow its way out. But the problem is that they never, they never take the measures needed to do, except for the late nineties, right. When we actually started, we did yeah. actually through a combination of small tax raises and a hot economy started paying down the debt. Yeah, Clinton, right. Clinton era, last couple of years of Clinton, yeah. yeah. And so Same. the debt, yeah. actually that debt clock in Times Square started running in reverse. Yeah, I remember, right? yeah. But then when we went back to like, you know, more tax cuts and more cheap, easy money then, and no spending cuts along with it, then you just drove the debt machine. Yeah. up again, yeah. And, and so it's, you know, without some like real discipline on the part of, governments, which is hard to ask them for because they're responding to, guess who they're responding to? Me and you, and me and you don't want any discipline. We want yeah. free Spin, spin, spin. We want the free stuff and we don't want to pay taxes to pay for it, right? Yeah. So, so of course the politicians who want to get elected, and this is another thing, just like, as long as I'm like grinding axes, like, <laughs> it, it drives me nuts to no end when I hear p- people talking about the politicians and the government. And I'm like, you put them there and they're doing, <laughs> you ask them to do yeah. you want you want all the services and you don't want to pay for any of it. And you get <laughs> down the road with debt so your great-grandchildren can pay for it and you don't yeah. have to think about it. You, they're doing their jobs. They're doing exactly <laughs> what they're elected to do. So stop whining about it. Or yeah. Vote change, them out. <laughs> well, vote them out, right? Yeah. Do something that's, differently. That's awesome. But, you know, so, you know, the government. So this is an excuse. We start blaming you blame your neighbors, you blame the government, you blame everybody yeah. but yourself for your problems. The problem is you. Yeah. Right? So, uh, but anyway, that's, that's my ask. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's sort of like, it's, it's an, I think Dalio's point is that all these forces, they're sort of larger than any particular people. And it takes yeah, a lot of definitely. extraordinary things to happen for like the government to get its act together and do what the people don't want it to do, which is to be responsible and, and, and shrink the debt. Right. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of things. Again, I'm only 30% into it. Um, and, and something I've been thinking about recently, I put on my channel is, I think Jerome Powell needs to, I don't know, mirror or be similar to Paul Volcker in one regard. Paul Volcker is the last bed chief that was willing to have pain, in my opinion, right? He's like, no, I'm going to break it. I know, it's, I know we're going to go into recession. I don't care. Uh, and he took rates up to 17 or 18% or whatever it was. I think Powell's got to do that which not necessarily 18, but maybe it's two, maybe it's three, you know, somewhere there. It doesn't have to go as high, but we've, I think he's got to, he's got to cool this off and he's got to, he's got to extract some, some, some people have to lose some bad deals that got done have to lose. I mean, that's the thing. We, we have like removed the self-enforcing function of capitalism where like you do a bad deal and you You pay for it. Like we've like eliminated that. Yeah, so there's no downside. Yeah, created this huge moral hazard, right? And there you go, moral is, hazard. The yes. thing is, I think that I think that the the um the 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 problem that Powell has that Volcker didn't have though is I don't think that American corporations were up to their neck in debt in the 1970s the way that they are now, and yeah. that's and that that was a big reason why the Fed immediately when COVID hit dropped the funds rate to zero. Oh yeah, I remember because they knew that. If there was any disruption 
of people buying stuff mm-hmm. that like a huge, service their debt, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a huge swath of the American corporate landscape would go into bankruptcy because it couldn't service their debt with interest rates. Yeah, the cash flow would stop at the top, and then it would they couldn't do that. They couldn't service debt, and bad things yeah. happen. So they so, and, and it's you know because we've had, you know, all through basically from, you know, the year two thousand to now, we've had really low interest rates, mm-hmm. except for when, uh, you know, when Greenspan panicked and raised rates to try to cool off the bubble that he had blew. yeah the taper yeah yeah when, taper. He, when when you know and then and then again when when you know the the fed tried to raise interest rates a couple of years ago mm-hmm. 18 yeah but they've you know they should have in 18 i think continued they just, should have exactly they should have continued that that that's what I think Powell needs to do. I don't know where the number is. It doesn't, it's yeah. not going to be crazy, but he's, he's got to have the backbone. What I give Volcker credit for is he had a backbone. It got bad, but he stayed the course. That's where I see Greenspan and others. They wilt like a, I don't know, whatever wilts. And yeah, yeah so that, that's what I'm thinking. So again, I read Reed Dalio's stuff. I'm going to finish the book. Maybe I'll finish it by probably it's a thick book. So probably before New Year's, but yeah, it'll be a fun conversation as I get to the end of this thing. How can people find you? So if you would like to join my investor list, please go Google me at Two Bridges Asset Management LLC and fill out my investor form. Uh, and you can come and join my free Facebook group by going to Facebook, obviously, and searching for multifamily investment community. Mm-hmm. And please answer the questions that you're asked when, when you're prompted to ask them and then you're in. Yep. I'd strongly suggest you do both of those things. I've done both. I'm on his investor list and the Facebook group is amazing. So please join that. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you, Michael. Mm